Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. You know, on the outside looking in, it's kind of a strange little um, anecdote, but it proves to be a very powerful point for the church in both uh, for, for Peter personally, but also in the church in Jerusalem. This week's title is Everyone Means Everyone. Everyone say that together. Everyone means everyone. We're going to define that here in a little bit. Sometimes we need help in understanding really big truths. Sometimes we'll use illustrations or we'll use stories or uh, parables. We'll use object lessons. We'll use things we can relate to to help us identify and wrap our minds around really big concepts. And so that's what's happening for Peter in Acts chapter 10 with his uh, interaction and conversation we'll see with Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. Uh, That's a biblical word that identifies someone who is not Jewish. For our context today, Gentile simply means an outsider, right? The Jewish people were the insiders. They uh, They had the law given to them. They were God's people. They were the ones uh, that had prophets. They were the ones that heard directly from God, and then uh, the prophets would give forth that truth to the rest of the people. And all throughout Scripture, we identify Israel or the Jewish people as uh, God's people. They're the insiders. And in the New Testament, we see this terminology of Gentiles. Gentile simply means those people who are not Jewish. And for our context, a Gentile means an outsider. This is Cornelius. He's an outsider, but he's very sympathetic to God Almighty. He's very sympathetic to the Jewish faith. In fact, uh, scripture tells us that he is, uh, he is praying. He is a good man. He had the, um, the respect of the other Jewish people. And God sends an angel to Cornelius to tell him, would you go get Peter and bring him back to you? So Cornelius organizes for some men. He's a pretty important guy. He has people under him. He is uh, part of this Italian cohort. He's a centurion. And so he asks some of his men. He more like demands, I'm sure. He can give orders. He asks these men to go to Peter's home and to bring Peter back. Meanwhile, while all that's happening, Peter has his own vision, doesn't he? Peter has a vision and a great sheet comes from heaven. And on that uh, sheet, there are animals of all kinds. Uh, There are uh, kosher animals. So there would be sheep and there would be lambs. And then there would be non-kosher animals uh, like pigs. Um, I was researching this week what kind of animals are kosher and what kind are not. Um, There would be camels that would not be kosher. Uh, owls would not be kosher. Eagles would not be kosher. Chickens would be. Uh, there were all these different kinds of things. Um, and so there's kosher and non-kosher animals on this sheet. Peter's watching this vision while he's hungry, by the way. I think the Lord has a little sense of humor there. <laughs> while he's hungry, he has this vision. And the vision, God's voice says to him, rise, eat, take, kill, eat. We see these things happen, and Peter three times denies Jesus. 
He says no. He says no again. The Bible says this happened three times, and maybe Peter thought he was under some kind of test, and after the third time he says no, he's kind of evaluating what's happening, and all of a sudden while he's there after the vision, there's a knock at the door, and it's the men from Cornelius. He kind of ignores them, but then the Holy Spirit says, you should answer the door. And there they are. They're standing there. And we see in Peter's heart um, kind of a repentance. He changes his attitude just a little bit. These guys are Gentiles, but Peter himself is staying at a Gentile's home and he invites them in, which is this signal that there's a little bit of repentance going on in Peter's heart. So as we remind ourselves of Peter's interaction with his messengers, and as we unpack this, let's start with some basic truths, some basic principles. Number one, there is a God. Let's all say that together. There is a God. That's the first basic principle. Second principle is this. You're not him right? So let's say this again, and this time, maybe say to the person next to you those last three words, ready? There is a God, and you're not him. I feel like sometimes we need this reminder, right? That in the course of our lives, we acknowledge fully that there's a God. We pray before our meals. We acknowledge Christ and God by coming and worshiping. And we, we worship some, with some beautiful songs this morning. And we'll worship with songs just in a few moments that say, how great thou art. And so we recognize there is a God. But every once in a while, we probably need a reminder that says you're not him. We don't get to dictate every portion of our lives. How many of you understand we don't get to dictate every portion of anyone else's life? <laughs> there is a God and you're not him. Um, the way Peter thought this whole day would unfold where he would meet this Gentile is not going perhaps as he planned. Cornelius, who, who understands this Jewish faith on some level, wasn't quite sure what was going to happen next. There is a God and you're not him. With that in mind, let's begin in verse 24. On the following day, after the vision, after all of that, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Imagine the scene. There's, we think about six people traveling with Peter. They travel some 30 miles, which for them was about a full day and a half. And when he gets there, it's not just Cornelius, it's his relatives and close friends, and no doubt members of the centurion party that he has authority over. He walks in and he sees all of them. This is either going to go extremely well or not. Verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. It's interesting because he waited for Peter to come knowing that since God motivated him to call Peter in the first place, God would bring it to completion. Paul says it this way in Philippians, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. In other words, uh, the, the, the stories of our life are written out by the decisions we make and by the, the course of life we take, but there is a God in heaven who also has his plan, and he will bring his plan to completion. Again, there is a God. 
and you're not him. Aren't you glad for that, by the way? Aren't you glad that you don't have control? Aren't you glad that not every one of your prayers have been answered? Imagine who'd you be married to if every one of your prayers would be answered. Imagine the career you would have followed if every one of your careers or every one of your prayers would, would be answered. Imagine, uh, imagine the way your life would have gone if every one of your prayers would be answered. I'm so grateful God has wisdom when we pray to discern how our life should unfold. And he gives us the tools and the wisdom to make decisions. Um, Cornelius gets there and he bows down and he offers his, uh, him worship. And yet Peter denied the worship. It's an interesting thing in the New Testament that as you see worship being offered to either men or angels, it's always refused. But Jesus himself received such worship freely. So here Peter uh, denies that worship. And as we kind of see this interaction, we'll see that Peter and Cornelius modeled for us how to honor one another. Peter honored Cornelius by coming all the way a day and a half from Joppa to see him. Cornelius honored Peter by bowing down before him. Write this verse down. You can look at it later. Romans 12, 10. It says this, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Other translations will put it this way, outdo one another in showing honor. Prefer one another, esteem one another in honor. It's beautiful to see this example for us because Peter refused both to be treated by Cornelius as if he were a god but also refuse the impulse or cultural, cultural tradition to treat Cornelius as if he was a dog, which would have been part of the Jewish culture. They both were unsure how this would play out. They both had never met before. And their interaction here provides us a really good model about what to do when you're in a situation and you don't quite know how the relationship will play out. There will be times in our relationships when we are tempted to be jealous, uh, when we're tempted to be petty or vengeful or unkind or unloving or unstubborn, or, or stubborn, I should say. And in those moments when we are tempted to be jealous and petty and vengeful and unkind, here's our prayer. Holy Spirit, lead me, show me how to honor this person. If you're in a work situation and there's someone who has, who has just differed with you and, and maybe they're also a follower of Jesus Christ and there's just this tension and you say, how do I treat that person? Well, scripture encourages us to honor that person. If you're in a family situation, and I know this is totally not the case for us, but if you were in a family where you don't always get along together, how does scripture encourage us? Well, honor, outdo one another in honoring one another, um, esteem one another, prefer one another. Peter and Cornelius really do a beautiful job modeling that for us. We go on in verse 27, as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how, everyone say the next word, unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Now, here's the thing. He's being um, hyperbolic in his language. It wasn't technically against Jewish law. 
But what he's saying, unlawful, it's like, he's saying, it's practically against the law for me to associate with a Gentile. That's what he's saying there. Uh, we read on, but God has shown me that I should not call any, what's the next word? Common or unclean. What was the sheet? The sheet was filled with animals, right? Well, and here's the learning for Peter. He recognizes that the sheet was not just about animals. It was about people. It was a representation of something larger. And he says this, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So what I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you send, why you sent for me. Now here's the thing. He walks in and he sees all these Jewish people. He sees the centurions, no doubt, along with uh, Cornelius. He sees probably some, uh, some Gentiles, some Romans, some people that were not Jewish. And immediately as he walks in, he has to justify, why am I walking into this Gentile's home? Why am I a Jewish person walking into this Gentile's home? So immediately he begins to justify it. And he explains the vision, or he explains his perspective on the vision that God wasn't only talking about food, or primarily God wasn't talking about food. He was talking about people. And he explains to them this. Now, here's the, here's the, um, here's the uh, significance of the vision. Um, there were holy and approved foods for the Jewish people, and there were unclean and common foods. So I alluded to it before. So there's, uh, there's, so there's like sheep, and there's lamb, and let's say that is the holy approved foods. Then there's these other foods that would be from uh, pigs or uh, shellfish or uh, some of the other animals I listed, and they were also in the sheet. So part of the significance of this is this. Um, it wasn't just that these foods were okay or not okay and these foods were okay. Under Jewish law, if those foods were to touch each other, if they were to be in the same place, not only was this food not holy, guess what happened to this food over here? It wasn't holy anymore. These foods would have to go through some kind of ritual cleaning, purification, in order for even these approved foods to be eaten anymore. This is why this is significant. For the Jewish people, these, for, for Peter, when he saw this, this was a representation of people and relationships. So what, what, what was happening for Jewish people, their understanding of their tradition was this. There are holy people, which they identified as. I'm God's people. I'm an Israelite. I'm a Hebrew. I've been circumcised. I am a Jew. And then there were unholy people. These are the outsiders. These are the Gentiles. These are people that are not Jewish. So it wasn't just that there were unholy people and holy people. But what happened when a Jewish person entered the Gentile home, guess what happened to the Gen Jewish person? Now they were contaminated. Now they were unholy. And for them, they would have to go to ritual, uh, they would have to go through this ritual cleansing and purification. So every time they would come into contact with a Gentile person, they'd have to cleanse themselves. 
Every time they came into contact with a Gentile person, they had to rid themselves of the filth or the, uh, the, the association of being a, with a Gentile. You see why it was so difficult for the disciples to understand why Jesus had to go to Samaria? Well, if we go to Samaria, we're going to we're gonna have to all get cleansed like every moment of every day there. There's no, way to, there's no way for us to avoid outsiders. So when, um, when Peter sees this vision, he kind of puts all this together and realizes the fact of the matter is that just because I have entered into this person's home doesn't make me less of a person and doesn't make this person less of a person. And if Peter had not received this vision, he would have never traveled with these Gentile messengers. Now let's keep reading. Verse 30. Verse 30 says this, Cornelius said four days ago, he explains what happened about this hour. I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Uh, first of all, Peter was just living a preacher's dream, by the way. This audience was attentive and well-prepared by the Holy Spirit. And here's Peter with the opportunity to preach to a very receptive audience. You know what makes a Sunday service great? Preparation. You would be surprised how long we prepare for a Sunday service. Our production team gets here early and they'll be the last ones to leave. Our musicians are listening to music and they're practicing. Our vocalists are practicing. Um, our greeters get here early. Our deaconesses prep communion and the bread and they make sure the coffee's going first thing in the morning. And then uh, there's somebody, I don't really know who does it, but the lights are on every time I get here on Sunday morning. And the heat's ready, everything. We're all prepared. But this is what would really set off a Sunday morning is if you prepared your heart. Imagine what a Sunday would look like if you were just, uh, if you had read where we're going already. If you had already read Acts 10. If you had spent some time in prayer that morning. If you had listened to worship music that morning. Uh, your preparedness is what makes Sunday special. You know how I know? Um, well, because I hear all the sermons I preach, right? And I know when I, when I preach a dud, I do. You can ask Libby. I'll tell her on the way home. And someone will call that week and say, Daniel, thank you for the message. And I know in my heart I had nothing to do with that. I had nothing to do with that. I know in my heart I'll have people call or, or message me or we'll have, a, we'll have a, a session, a counseling session or something, and people will say, you know, when, 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 when the worship team was singing this song, I broke. And it's because you have prepared yourself. And so coming to church is awesome, 
Preparing your heart is where it really means meaningful. Peter is here, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit has obviously led these people. They're very attentive. They're well-prepared. They've been waiting at least two days. Well, let's see. It took a day and a half to get there, and then they left. So at least three days, they've been waiting for Peter to come. And now they're ready to hear. Let's hear his message. Verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, let's take an offering. I'm just kidding. He did not say that. He said this, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John had proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. And not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I think what's beautiful as we read through Peter's sermon or or the portions that Luke has recorded for us is this is basically the same message he would preach in Acts chapter 2. It's the same message he would preach to any Jewish audience. It is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is about the death and burial and the resurrection and our responsibility before God in light of these actions. I want to go back to the first sentence that Peter says that Luke records. In fact, let's read this verse together. Ready, begin. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. The weight of of Peter's words is significant. In the Roman Empire, one's accomplishments were independent of their race or ethnicity. But being Jew was something different. Jewish identity was almost entirely built on their ancestry or their genealogy. That's why Matthew takes such, um, such uh, deep uh, work and, and such great effort to show the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. This identity was important for them. And so this statement that God shows no partiality should have rocked their world. Because at this time, the Jewish perspective was, God absolutely showed partiality. We're part of God's people. This kind of thinking permeated Jewish culture. As I was studying, I came across a theologian and historian who made some comments about how Jewish people uh, thought of um, their place in society. According to one theologian, it was common for a Jewish man to begin the prayer with this prayer. Thanking God that he was not a slave, that he was not a Gentile, and that he was not a woman. (laughs) 
You think about the weight of those words. When Jesus came and he died and buried and resurrection, resurrected, it, it, it destroyed that kind of prayer. Where male and female, we stand equal before God. Where slaves and masters would worship together. And where Jews and Gentiles were equal before God. Part of the Jewish religion in the New Testament was that they would take an oath that they wouldn't help a Gentile under any circumstances. So if someone was lost, um, they would refuse to help a Gentile woman give birth because the result of that birth would to bring another Gentile into the world. So you think about the, 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 the good Samaritan, that if the roles were reversed and it was a Samaritan who was injured or hurt, there's no such story as where, where, where a Jewish person would come and purposely help someone because it was just countercultural for them. If a Jewish person married a Gentile, the Jewish community would have a funeral because they would consider them dead. Now, the Gentiles could give just as much as they were gotten from the Jews. Gentiles despised Jews as traditionalists. Uh, they, um, they spread word that Jews were planning world domination. Uh, they would start rumors that Jews worship pigs because they refused to eat pork, so they must worship pigs. Um, all of this changed with the hope of the gospel. The first faith to destroy racial, cultural, and national barriers was Christianity. Peter's point was that no one should feel excluded from God because of their background. And this truth should ring even louder today. That no matter your country of origin, that no matter your background, no matter uh, your resume as it turns to your person, no matter the color of your skin or your economic status, Christianity destroys every one of those barriers and we all are equal at the foot of the cross. Now here's the thing, while everyone is included, while everyone is loved, while everyone is welcomed, you individually must come to the Father. It takes a choice, it takes a decision, it takes a moment of faith in the one who created you, and who better to give your life to than the one who created you? Um, I want to share a little bit of personal um, perspective when it comes to destroying racial, cultural, and national barriers. Um, we often say, and don't comment on this, but we often will say something like um, that God doesn't see color, he only sees the heart. We'll often say something like, well, God, isn't God colorblind? And I can just tell you from my perspective, I can tell you how I feel when someone says they don't, feel col they don't see color or that God doesn't see color. And it kind of hurts I kind of like my skin color. I've worked really hard on it. And for you to tell me you're colorblind really hurts. And I'm being serious here. Um, I wish you would see my color. I wish you would see it and appreciate it and recognize it and embrace it as I do when I see your skin color. We would like to say he doesn't see nationality or ethnic group and that God only sees the heart. 
But in my estimation, I think God does see color. He does see ethnicity. Otherwise, in Revelation, why would he take such painstaking detail to say every tribe, every nation will worship at the feet of Jesus? In my estimation, he sees our color and embraces it. And so for us to pretend that we are all the same in terms of our, our backgrounds or our ethnicities or our cultures, I don't believe is the heart of the gospel. In fact, I think the heart of the gospel is to recognize that we have different ethnicities, that we might be different racially in any other way, and in our differences, the gospel still affirm our value and says, welcome one and all. Peter didn't have one sermon for one group and another sermon for another. He had the same sermon from all, from all because everyone needs the hope of the gospel. Now, look at the conclusion of his message that Luke records for us carefully. Look at verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that, and what's the next word? Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes. And when, I, when Peter said everyone, he means everyone. So he's telling this audience, Jew, everyone who believes. Gentile, everyone who believes. Slave, everyone who believes. Master, everyone who believes. Free, everyone who believes. White or black, everyone who believes. Rich or poor, everyone who believes. Now watch what happens. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So even while listening, these people made an invisible transaction in their hearts with God, setting their faiths in Jesus. Look what happens, verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Read the rest of the verse with me. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, church, when was the last time this happened in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2. Remember? Acts chapter 1. Uh, Jesus says, go back to Jerusalem. Um, and wait, and after this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will receive power, and you'll be my witnesses. Acts chapter 2, it happens. They're all Jewish there. They're all Jews that have come from different parts of the area. They've all gathered in one place. In Acts chapter 2, almost the same language. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin talking in languages they never learned, and they begin speaking to people, and 3,000 people got saved. Here, nearly the identical thing happens but the audience is Gentile. The audience is completely full of outsiders highlighting for us that the gospel is for everyone. I love Peter. He never misses a moment. Check this out. Verse 46, then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now these were not likely the first Gentiles to trust in Jesus and be born again. All before this, Gentiles could certainly trust in Jesus as their Messiah, but what they would have to do 
is they would have to wear coverings on their head in church so people could identify them as Gentiles. They would have to convert their diets to go kosher. They would have to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem for the feasts. They would have to observe dozens of ceremonial laws and rituals. This was different. The Jewish Christians were amazed. They may have understood that God was now starting to love the Gentiles, but who would have thought God would fill Gentiles with the Holy Spirit in the same manner and degree as the Jews? And so Peter makes the point clearly that when they received the Holy Spirit, they did just as we had. It wasn't just that God loved or blessed the Gentiles that astonished them. It was the fact that God loved and blessed the Gentiles exactly as he did the Jews. There would be no difference anymore. There would not be one side of the church would be those who were Jewish and the others would be Gentiles. And they would walk separately and never intermingle. No way. This was different. The racial barriers, the cultural barriers would be destroyed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And in their eyes they saw the very evidence of the Holy Spirit filling them up just as they did in Acts chapter 2. It's a pretty awesome, awesome story. And then they were baptized. They showed their full acceptance into the community of those who follow Jesus. Because baptism shows that they were accepted as followers of Jesus Christ. And they were identifying with Jesus. And don't miss this. They were identifying with one another. Oh, man, this is such a beautiful display of the gospel. This baptism not only identified them with Jesus, but in the presence of other believers, Jewish and Gentile, all together, their baptism identified them together. It would be the first time in their culture that they were identified together. It's through their faith in Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Paul reminds us in Ephesians. By grace are you saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of our works. Cornelius was a good man, was he not? He meant well. He prayed. He was respected. And yet he submitted to the Holy Spirit and chose to identify with Jesus and his followers. By the way, this is always the plan. Remember in Genesis chapter 12 when God told Abraham, uh, one day, if you look up into the stars or into the sky, you'll see the stars. You'll have children just as many as the stars in the sky. Look out at the sand. You're going to have children just as many, uh, sand, as, many, as many sands there are in this. What is the saying? Grains, thank you. I really should write that out next time. This was always the plan. And this is what was being foreshadowed way back in Genesis chapter 12, that everyone, everyone, everyone means everyone, everyone gets to have the gospel. Augustine was a theologian of old. He lived between 350 and 40, or 430 AD. And he said it this way, that the Old Testament is a fully furnished room that's very dimly lit. And you walk around and you stumble into things until you let the light in from the New Testament. Isn't that beautiful? 
The Old Testament is this fully furnished room that's dimly lit until we let the light in from the New Testament. Here's the thing. This was always the plan. The Old Testament looked forward to the day when the light would shine in on the darkness. Isaiah says it this way. Arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen above you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness over the people. But the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah says this, the Gentiles shall come to your light. Jesus' words in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as my father knows me. And I know my father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And he says this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be... One flock and one shepherd. What is he talking about? He's talking about Gentiles and Jews. He's talking about you and me identifying together under one shepherd. It's beautiful. John 12, he says this, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. It's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. Now, here's the thing. Studying scripture is not meant to be merely inspirational or informational, but rather it is meant to be transformational. It can inspire us, and I hope it does. It can inform us, and I pray that it does. But all, if it all it does is inspire us, well, as you know, inspiration fades after time. You can be really inspired during a Sunday morning service and then on your way home or on the way to lunch, that inspiration can fade. You can be really informed and uh, we've talked about it before. You can be so, uh, so informed and educated about scripture and about the Bible, but we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, right? We don't want to be filled with so much knowledge that it actually interrupts in the way we actually live our life. The scriptures are designed for us to be transformational. This is not something for just new Christians. This is for you. This is our call. This is our mandate. That when we say everyone, we mean everyone. That means when someone comes to us and comes to us and worships and they're without a home or they're without uh, they're, they're without a job or they're without a home that we, that we allow them to hear and receive the gospel just like someone else would. That means that when someone comes and their life is broken or their marriage is, is crumbling or their kids are just, they're, they're, they're not where they would like to be. Can, can you understand? That's why we're coming to church in the first place. It's because we're broken. We're at the core of who we are and we need one another. Everyone means everyone. And Peter and Cornelius did an interaction. You know what Peter has to do in chapter 11? It's so sad. One of the things he has to do in chapter 11 is defend the fact that the gospel's for everyone. You read it this week. He has to go back to Jerusalem. He has to go back to the church and the church, the elders, so to speak, call him in. And said, I heard you, I heard that you preached a great message to Gentiles, Peter. Tell us what that is while you clean up your office. Tell us how that went 
while you turn in your keys. Peter has to go back and explain to the church at Jerusalem and justify his behavior. Now, here's the crazy, crazy thing. You look at uh, the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, you look at the Great Commission, right? We're to go into where? All the world and preach the gospel. That's at the end of the gospels. We get to Acts chapter 1, and Jesus is ascending, and he says this, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to empower you, it's going to be great, you're going to be witnesses, and you're going to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to where? The uttermost parts of the earth. And then they go to Jerusalem, and they go, and they preach, and they see Man, you start doing the math, thousands of people come. We see uh, Philip uh, lead an Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. We see them go to Samaria. We see Philip now in Joppa. We see them going all these places. It would take till chapter 11 for the Jerusalem church to say, hey, you know what's a good idea? What if we went into all the world? What if we actually just shared the gospel to everyone? This is the encouragement for us. It should transform the way we interact with people. One of the reasons we wanted to show the Agape Flights video, did you hear how many missionaries that mission supports? 300 missionaries that they support. We're just a few months away from um, one great month for missions in February, and we got all our speakers lined up and confirmed, and we were praying over uh, and talking about um, how we would encourage our church this year when it comes to missions. Um, and we're on track to give, I think, 20 or over $20,000 um, just on top of our regular giving to missions. That's in, uh, that doesn't include the 13% that we take off the top of everything that we give. So all that money gets and it gets out to missions. Um, that 20000 or so that will be raised this year uh, we were looking at the number of families that contribute towards that. And again, I don't have access to who necessarily, um, and I don't want to know who gives, but we were looking at the number of families that contribute to that almost 20,000, and it's about 25, 30 families. My encouragement to you, if you're not part of uh, that 25 or 30 families, is to really embrace what's happening here in Acts chapter 10, that the gospel is for everyone, and we are mandated to do so. And I don't want us to get to the point where we're like the church in Jerusalem saying, wait, who are we sharing the gospel to? Why are we spending money doing that? Why are we going to this much effort? Why are we? We should be the ones rushing to share the gospel because someone at some point shared it with us. We need to be a part of this church that says the gospel is for everyone. It destroys every racial, cultural, and national barrier and we get to be bearers of the good news. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.